Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 47, Breast Imaging with the Director of Breast Imaging at Memorial, a radiologist, Dr. Sergio Dromi. We've often heard that early detection saves lives, but let's take a look at what that actually means. According to the American Cancer Society, y'all, the five-year survival rate for breast cancer patients diagnosed with a stage zero, so DCIS, or stage one, so basically if it's found early, then their five-year survival rate can be as high as 90%. Those that are diagnosed later, so if cancer has had time to grow and spread, if it's made it to those train stations, the lymph nodes, and then hitched a ride to some other place in your body, then that's considered metastatic or stage four breast cancer. And for stage four metastatic breast cancer patients, the five-year survival rate is closer to 20%. That data speaks for itself. Early detection equates to a more favorable prognosis. That being said, what kinds of screenings are there? What all can you do? What do you need to know in order to protect yourself and to do appropriate screening at the appropriate time? Well, first of all, there's self-exams, and the frequency for that should be about every month. If you feel a lump or if you see changes, inverted nipples, discharge, redness, swelling, if there's any dimpling or puckering of the skin in any way, anything that is new and different for you, then you need to bring that up with your provider. Don't wait. Be familiar with your own body. And as one survivor put it quite eloquently, she said, know your own geography. That's self-exams. Then there's also those clinical breast exams, which is part of your annual OBGYN visit. And then the next layer on top of that is breast imaging. You usually get your yearly mammograms once you've reached the recommended age. However, if of course there's an issue prior to then, then please talk to your provider. In order to talk to us more about breast imaging, we are pleased to welcome with us today radiologist and director of breast imaging at Memorial Health University Medical Center in Savannah, Georgia, Dr. Sergio Dromi. Dr. Dromi got his medical degree from Universidad Favaloro in Argentina. He worked in radiology department of the National Institutes of Health. He did his radiology residency at the University of Georgetown in Washington, D.C., and he completed his fellowship in women's breast imaging at the University of Georgetown. Dr. Dromi worked at the University of Maryland Medical Systems, served as the section chief of breast imaging center, and also worked as an assistant professor in the diagnostic radiology department. He's currently working as the director of breast imaging at Memorial Health University Medical Center in Savannah, Georgia. And we are beyond blessed to have him with us here today to help us better understand what breast imaging is all about and why it is so important. As always, we are not here to diagnose. We are here simply to educate and inform. 
This information is meant to empower us. Welcome, Dr. Drama. We are so happy to have you with us today. So thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm really glad to participate in your podcast. Thank you. Well, we hear about breast imaging, and there's different kinds of screening that can be. First of all, there's mammograms. So for those that are completely unfamiliar with what a mammogram is, help us understand mammograms better. So mammogram is a technology that is being used for a long time. It uses x-ray, minimal amount of x-ray. Mammogram in breast is a little bit different from chest x-ray or any other modality that use x-ray. Basically, the breast has to be under compression, but there's a reason why it has to be under compression. Breast has significant amount of tissue, and then you have to compress to kind of disperse the tissue. So that's one of the reasons why people complain about the compression, but the compression is very important. It shouldn't hurt. Mm -hmm. should be uncomfortable, but shouldn't hurt. And also, a more compression reduces the thickness of the tissue and reduces the radiation. So more compression is less radiation, less chances they're going to call you back if there is any problem. Right. And what is the recommended age? Is it 40? So if we're talking about average risk patients, meaning there is no family history, no genetic predisposition, no chest radiation, those patients are recommended to start mammogram, screening mammogram age of 40. And that would be to get their baseline so that they know what's normal and what's not normal for them. Exactly. So it's going to be two views, two compressions and different angles for each breast. And then patient goes home and they receive a letter within the first month saying the results. What the results are. Okay, so I know from having gone to the doctor as many times as I have been, it's all in the codes. As far as breast imaging goes and mammograms, understanding the vocabulary a little bit better. There's screening versus diagnostic mammograms. What's the difference between those? So in a screening, is it's usually something that happens every year because there's no problems. There is no nipple discharge. There is no itchiness. There is no palpable abnormality. The patient doesn't feel anything, basically. Mm -hmm. That's in a screening. You just look for something wrong in the breast, but without having any problems. You're just going for your regular checkup. Regular checkup. And then if you see, if the radiologist sees something, then that patient becomes diagnostic. So then something in seeing in the screening mammogram needs additional evaluation. That's one pathway going from screening to diagnostic. The other way that it could be a diagnostic, if the patient already come with a complaint, just either palpable abnormality, mm-hmm. itchiness, nipple discharge, or something like that, that's when the patient becomes a diagnostic. So if they felt their own lump, if they found one during a self-breast exam, would that be diagnostic then? That would be diagnostic. So first it has to go to the primary care physician or a doctor or whoever is feeling, uh, following the patient and get uh, the referral just to get a diagnostic evaluation. All right. And then we hear about there's traditional mammography and then 3D mammography. What's the difference there? Yeah. So 3D is not like we had to put special Googles just to see. 3D is is a misnamer, I would call it this way. It's it's called tomosynthesis. So what it means, the difference is, imagine if I take a picture of you in the front, one Mm. picture, just front face. That's it. 3D or tomosynthesis, the real name it should be, is taking pictures in different angles, okay. okay? But not 360, just few angles, like 15 degrees to one side, 15 degrees to the other side. So that way you will see the face of the whole person in different angles. So you can see the ears, you can see the nose, you can see the eyes, the shape of the head. So that why I'm bringing this comparison is because what we're saying before is superimposed tissue. If you take it in different angles, then you can say, okay, there is no real mass. It's just superimposed tissue, and it helps to reduce the chances of a recall. We call it call the patient call back again for right. additional evaluation. That is proven, and there are a lot of literature, a lot of papers saying that 3D 
decrease the chances of the patient coming back, the recall rate, decreases the recall rate, and also finds more cancer because mm. then you can see distortions that sometimes 2D won't see. So is there a difference between who gets recommended to have a regular mammogram versus a 3D mammogram, or is it based off of location? I think it's by far it's insurance issues, unfortunately. Every patient will get much more benefit, even if it's entirely fat breast. Mm-hmm. It gets much more uh, information just having a 3D. So my recommendation, even if insurance sometimes don't cover the whole 3D, I would say that that if it's in a screening is once times a year, mm-hmm. um, I would say 3D will benefit 100%. That's, that's good to know. I didn't know all that. We hear a lot of talk about breast density. That's a big mm-hmm. hot button topic recently, trying to educate the public on what the heck breast density is. We know that cancer is bad and we know that we want to find it early. And now we know that there's, you know, the screening tools. But what exactly is breast density and how can it be a point of concern as far as imaging goes? So the whole breast is formed by dense tissue and fat. So depending on the amount of dense tissue and, and, and fat that you have in the breast is how the, you can find things in mammogram. More dense tissue you have, less chances you can see a mass. So, mm-hmm. Okay. So when we're talking about patients that have extremely dense breast tissue, which is, is a typical vocabulary of uh, or lexicon, we call it lexicon for when we describe about patients with dense tissue is extremely dense tissue, heterogeneously dense. Those patients, uh, we can put it in the same group because the dense, it can obscure the detection of masses. Mm-hmm. Masses are going to have almost the same kind of color. Mammogram is black or white. That's it. Right. When it, masses can look white and then dense tissue look white. So right. they can obscure and then you're going to miss it. I was always given the comparison that it's like driving through a snowstorm with the windshield wipers on turbo. You you can't really see anything. That's kind of the same comparison, exactly. Big yeah. snowstorms, it's very difficult to see, distinguish different, the, the, see the highway, if you want to call it. Right. When you have just small snowflakes, you can see better in patients for fatty breast or scattered farulandular tissue, this, the other groups that I, those patients are easy to see masses or calcifications. There are different ways that can cancer can be presented, either right. masses or calcifications. So if a woman wants to know what their breast density is, they can't just tell that by touch. They have a mammogram is what actually shows that for certain, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, sometimes when it's extremely dense, especially young women's very thin, you, you know they're going to be very dense. But a mammogram will give you the percentage of how much dense tissue you right. have. It'll give it a, a grade. And we have, in, in the state of Georgia now, we have a law, Margie's Law. Tell us about how that relates to breast density. So Margie's Law, it's interesting. When I came here to Savannah, which was a long time ago, um, Margie's Law was kind of happening. And it was new for a lot of people in here. But I come from a different states from up north. And this law is being for a long time. And I've been, yeah, I've been already reporting the density of the breast because the patient needs to know what the density of the breast is. It's, it's good that, that right now it's obligatory to say it. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a law. Um, it was strange for me why it was not done before. Why was we it had not to go, already a law? Yeah. I know, right? So majority of the states, right now, there are still some states that are not a, not a law just for the density of the right. breast. But right now, Georgia's part of the 37 or 38 states that are right now require 
to put the density of the breast in the report. In the report. And then in the state of Georgia, it's supposed to say on there too, not only what their grade is, but then what that translates to. Mm-hmm. And what that what that does is it opens up that dialogue between patient and provider so that they can have a very personal conversation. Okay, well, what does this mean for me? Yeah, so and that's, that's what I think is the main thing. So the provider can put all in, in, in one page and say, okay, let's see your risk. Let's see your density of the breast. Let's see if you start feeling a lot, if you need additional imaging or additional follow-up just because you have extremely dense breast tissue and your family member had close family member, mother, sister had breast cancer. No, right now you need to start doing additional imaging or modalities just to see if there is anything going on. Right, exactly. Continuing on with understanding breast density, there seems to be several layers of concern here. First layer is education and making sure that women know what is breast density, why do you need to know it, and what is yours. And so we're doing that now, and hopefully other states, the rest of the states will fall in line and, and join with giving out that information to their patients, right? So that's issue number one. But then once they find out that they have dense breasts or not, let's say that they do, then the next question is, what do you do about it, right? So cost is an issue. Their MRIs are much more expensive than mammograms, right? So I've heard that mammograms on average about $100-ish, whereas an MRI could be like 1000 right? So then the question is, okay, well, who's going to pay for that? Hopefully insurance will. In the state of Georgia, I just read recently that there's legislation in place that's attempting to address that for high-risk patients, but high-risk patients being those that have over a 20% lifetime risk of getting cancer. But then there's that other layer on top of that, and that's logistics, right? Tell us how that would be a problem. So when we're talking about high-risk patients, I think there's no discussion that they definitely need breast MRI. I think that's the insurance won't have any problem when there is problems there are the intermediate patients, the ones that are almost there mm-hmm. to be become high-risk. What do we do? And they are extremely dense breast tissue, and they always come once or twice a year just with a lump or something feeling and. And then where we can do evaluations with diagnostic ultrasound and everything, but what else we can do for them? So there are other different modalities. They could be MRI. Those patients are not going to be covered by, by, MRI, um, by the insurance. And I understand what you're saying, but sometimes they need to have the approval for the primary care physician. The primary care physician has to call and push the insurances to approve. That's one of the options. And if they refuse, there are other modalities like mm-hmm whole breast ultrasound. This is another modality that helps to find more cancers than mammogram by itself. However, it does not find more cancers than MRI. My MRI is the more sensitive and specific examination that we have at the moment for breast. Just one step down from MRI is contrast-enhanced mammography, which is also using contrast, but it's not an MRI and it's, it's kind of a regular mammogram. The only difference is we inject iodine, the same contrast that we use for CT abdomen mm-hmm. or pelvis, whatever CT we do. That's the next optional modality we have. And then there are other ones that are more difficult to find because there are nuclear medicine evaluations and everything like that. But I won't go to that one because they're very specific and they're difficult to find. So right now, whole breast ultrasound, contrast-enhanced mammography, contrast-breast MRI are the tools that we have available to go a little bit further to find more information about screening and surveillance for these patients that are either have a question about their breast or they have either high risk. Right. It's good to know that there's options that are out there. And I I do want to dive in and talk more about what MRIs are here in a minute. But before we jump to MRIs, 
um, more in depth, a little bit more about mammograms. What do you think is one of the biggest barriers in getting women to come in and have their mammograms done in the first place? I think that question, it goes for whatever location we are, we're talking. Coming from up north, um, being in Washington, this area, and Baltimore area, now being in Savannah, I see also a, a lot of education problems. Patients don't go into the doctor, even when they have the possibility to go to the doctor, but it's, it's just don't want to go to the doctor. It is one of the problems. The other problems that I can see is patients don't want to just take care of their health. Is The doctor should be chasing you. You should be chasing the doctor. That's you what should be your number one advocate. You need to call, pick up the phone. So that's one of the problems that I'm encountering here in Georgia most of the time, that they are waiting for the doctor or the office to call to make the appointment for them because they have a problem. When it's the other way around, is you calling. Yes. You, you, the restaurant don't call you to make a reservation for you. You call the restaurant to That's make a reservation. That's right. And you matter. So you need to pick up that phone and not be shy about it and take care of yourself. Make those appointments. I also had a friend who did... Okay, so I have the BRCA2 mutation. And I've talked about that in previous episodes, how that makes me at high risk. So I'll have friends of mine who have had testing done who will call me and tell me things as well. And I had somebody tell me that they did genetic testing and they found out that they were negative. So that's good. That means they don't Mm -hmm. have the mutation. But then they wrongfully assumed that that meant that they were not at risk for breast cancer and they skipped their mammogram. No. (laughs) So that's the, it's it's a big confusion. So that's having the genetic predisposition just because you have carried one of the genes that it could be BRCA1, BRCA2 or other genes that I know you're talking in another episode just tells you that you are more risk. Doesn't mean that you are not at risk if you don't have the genetic yes. the, um, carrier. Right. We have to understand that we only know between two to five to 7% of the genes involved in breast cancer. Right. There are like 90, more than 90% of the, the genes involved in breast cancers that are unknown. Exactly. So we are in a, an unknown world yet for breast cancer. We know a lot, but we have a, we need to know much more and we just started. Right. And the statistics are one in eight. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer, and that's regardless of whether or not they have a hereditary mutation or not. If you have the mutation, you're more at risk, but it doesn't mean that if you don't have it, you're not going to get it either. So don't cancel the mammogram. Go and get your screenings done. Yeah. And you say the one now, but for this patients that have husbands or the patients that are males that it would now they, they're listening to your podcast, they have to understand that every hundred women that are diagnosed with breast cancer, one is going to be a male. Yes. Okay. That's important. That's important for people to know too. Absolutely. Men can get breast cancer. Yeah. Because we don't have breast tissue, but we can develop breast cancer. Even patients that have more risk in this male patients that have carriers of BRCA genes, they have more predisposition for breast cancer too. Yes. And we're seeing an increased rate of breast cancer in male population. So those male patients, they feel a lump. They also need to get a diagnostic evaluation. Okay, so they can come in and have a, a mammogram done A mammogram done as well. and an ultrasound, yes. Okay. So let's talk about average risk women. We said that they would get their baseline mammogram done at 40, assuming that no issues 
came up prior that they had to have a referral and come in. And talking about high-risk patients, so for those whose lifetime risk is over 20%, and it's not just hereditary mutations that make that happen. There's a whole bunch of things that need to be considered to determine one's lifetime risk. But if they are considered high-risk, what is the recommended set of screening? It's not just mammograms. What what do they do? They don't have cancer, but they know that they're at high risk. What are they supposed yeah. to do? So, um, yeah, there's two different groups. The average risk, that's that's what we talk. There's starting age of 40, because I know there are a lot of recommendations, but the best thing is starting age of 40. That's the, the best guidelines are that. But for high risk, it's a very uniform, the recommendations. So basically is... Um, if the first degree relative is diagnosed with breast cancer at age of 45, that means that 10 years before that, it should start with the screening mammogram. Meaning if a mother was diagnosed with age of 45, daughter should start age of 35, but not early than 30. Okay. okay. Not early than 30. That's the recommendations to start with mammogram and in conjunction with MRI. Okay. So they would alternate like every six months, mammogram, MRI. Yeah, they stagger mammogram and MRI. So every six months they get some kind of surveillance because MRI can find few things and mammogram can find other things. So they work in conjunction. They don't, doesn't mean because you get an MRI, you cannot, you don't need to get in a mammogram. Oh, that's good to know. So it doesn't mean that you get a mammogram, you don't need an MRI. Right. Calcifications are not seen by MRI and it's an early sign of cancer calcifications like ductal carcinoma in situ. MRI doesn't see calcifications and mammogram doesn't see enhancement. So it's, it's helpful to see enhancement in things. So both things work together. Let's break down what an MRI is for those that don't know. What is an MRI? So an MRI it doesn't, it's completely different technology and modality than a, an X-ray like a mammogram. It uses magnets. Our body is formed by water, okay? It basically 80% is water. And water is just like to spin around. When you put a magnet, like the one that you put a stick in the, in the refrigerator, usually it attracts something because it attracts metal. Well, it can, magnets can attract water too or reject water, depending on the positive, is it negative or positive. So that movement of particles produce images. And then we put it with software and everything, much more technology, um, we can see better. And then we inject contrast. Inject contrast, which is gadolinium. And it's a metal. And it's, we're talking about magnets, so it's magnet spin. So the contrast will go to areas that are super vascularized. And cancer is vascularized. Majority of the cancers are vascularized. And that helps to distinguish from the rest of the tissue. Breast tissue usually doesn't enhance that much. So that's how it's able to show up on the MRI is because the contrast goes into where it's more vascular, yes. which causes it to... Exactly. So it helps to that. So what, that's when the knowledge and the expertise goes there just not to confuse a bad things from a benign thing. Right. There are multiple characteristics for bad things. Uh, there are multiple characteristics for benign things. So not all the patients that get an MRI finish having a biopsy. Sometimes majority of the patients are going to finish with a biopsy. It's going to be benign. But it's better to be safe than sorry. Right. So that's the, the MRI is the way that works with contrast. What are some pros for MRIs versus some cons for MRIs? For us, it's, more, it's the most sensitive and specific evaluation. The cons is, is it, so far, it's an expensive study. It mm -hmm. takes time. And not everybody can get it. Because if everybody wants an MRI mammogram and an MRI, an MRI takes approximately between 25 to 40 minutes in the scanner. Mm -hmm. So if everybody wants, and MRIs are very limited in an amount, even the whole United States. If we're talking about mammograms, we're doing approximately 100, 120 a day. 
an MRI, we cannot do 120, 30 a day. Right, So right. it's very important. The person who order has to be educated when to order an MRI. So that's, that's important to talk to the primary care physician. Yeah, that's important is being able to, for women to know, what their breast density is, what their family history is, what questions to ask their providers, and then the providers to, to basically be able to help screen those women and get them to the right kind of follow-up care that they may need mm-hmm. based off of what. And I think for the reason after these all new technologies that show up, for the reason that it was the necessity to open clinics that are specific for this, the high-risk clinic. Mm-hmm. Clinics that they know when and what to order just not to abuse or underuse the system and, and the modalities and the technology we have. So this, this clinic, the high-risk clinic, uh, helps the, the providers just to say, okay, I see you have a dense tissue. I see you maybe have fa- some family history. I will send you to the high-risk clinic. They will figure it out if you need something else or not. Right. And they make the decision. It, it helped the provider, which the knowledge of medicine has increasing so much that helped the provider just to deci- decide if the patient needs additional things or not. Right. And talking again about the MRIs, they're also a little bit more sensitive. I remember getting the phone call <laughs> from my OBGYN when I had, because again, I'm BRCA2, I had that mammogram, the mammogram missed it. And then I was going for my regular six-month MRI and it was just routine for me because I'm BRCA2, this is my new life, this is what I'm doing, I'm only scanning every six months. And I, I got the phone call and she told me that they had found three masses and I'm like ready to fall over. She said, but don't worry because we don't know what that is yet. So let's not, let's not overreact. You're going to go in and have an ultrasound and a biopsy done to know for certain what that is because MRIs, it could be bad. It could not be bad, whatever that spot was. Yeah. So MRI, again, it's very sensitive. Doesn't mean sensitive means you can see a lot of things but not always are going to be cancer. And that's what it goes, the knowledge and knowing how to read these exams. And also that goes in, okay, we need to do something else. Sometimes it's just it's, you bring the patient back, you see you do an ultrasound, it's just fine to ease. It's a very simple thing, nothing really to worry. Sometimes it's something worrisome and, and you need to do a biopsy or sometimes it's something is indeterminate. Mm-hmm. And in those cases, you put everything and the knowledge and everything you discuss with the patient and then you decide if you're going to do the biopsy or not. And right. the majority of the biopsies are going to be benign. Right. Let's break those two things apart so people understand um, ultrasounds and biopsies. Let's start first with ultrasounds. What is an ultrasound? Ultrasound is the cheapest and easy modality that we have for basically all organs. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just sound. It works like a submarine of sounds. You know, it just sends sound and whatever hits something, it comes back and it gives an image. It's really good. It's very cheap, easy to do. But it can miss a lot of things, and especially if it's use, you're um, holding the transducer. Uh, it's not a whole breast ultrasound. It's holding the transducer. It's a target ultrasound. You can be missing a, a mass if you don't scan the correct right. area. So, but if you have an MRI done and it sees the spot, then they can use that to help guide them for wherever they're going to look with exactly. that ultrasound. And then, if it's very suspicious on their MRI. You bring the patient back, you do an ultrasound. If you see the lesion, you biopsy on the ultrasound. If you don't see the lesion, you may, if it's suspicious enough, you may have to go back to MRI to do the biopsy. So you can do an MRI-guided biopsy or an ultrasound-guided biopsy. There are three different type modalities of biopsies in, the, in breast. MRI, as you said, ultrasound, a guided biopsy, and a mammographic biopsy, which is called a stereotactic biopsy, which is specifically more for calcifications or distortions in the breast. 
Okay, so then a biopsy would be basically the removal of that tissue, that suspicious spot. Tell us how how does a biopsy work? So biopsies are very simple. The biopsies are an outpatient procedure that the patient doesn't need to put to sleep any kind of biopsy. Some of the patients are a little more anxious and they they require some a little bit of help but for an anxiolytic or something like that. But the truth is um, biopsies are very simple. Uh, it's just cleaning the skin, numb the area with a lidocaine, okay? Mm-hmm. After that, it shouldn't feel, it shouldn't feel anything. Um, right. I just pain. felt pressure. That's all I felt was pressure. It's pressure and motion because the sensation that you cannot take it out. And then we don't take the whole lesion out. Majority right. of the times we don't take. We just take a small amount of tissue. That's a, a bad conception that we take everything out. Right. So we take a small amount of tissue for the pathologist to tell us what is going on. And they're little coarse samples. Yes, they look like a small worms. Yes, <laughs> yes. I like to think of them as like itty-bitty pieces of spaghetti that are yes, all exactly. chopped up, little yes. cylindrical things. And we did an episode not too long ago with the pathologist, and so we talked about what happens. So you here, you do the biopsy, you remove that spot, and then you send it off to pathology. They do their magic over there to render a report on what that means. Yeah. So, and then after that, um, we talk to the pathology and we see if it's concordant or not. So that's one of the most critical things for the whole process. We see something in imaging, either all modalities that we were talking, we do the biopsy, we think it's very suspicious for us. If the pathology tells me, oh, it's benign, and imaging why it doesn't look like it's benign, that we call it non-concordant. And that's when the, the next step is the surgeon plays a factor. I will send that patient to see the surgeon because now we need to take everything out just to find out why it was probably bad biopsy or was is probably benign or what is going on. Right. So that's the next step. So the concordance between the pathology and radiology is very important. Just not to miss something that is probably bad or good, but it has to be that concordant to find out. When a woman has or a man has a biopsy done and they go home that night, what can they expect as far as healing and so the procedure usually usually it shouldn't be any there shouldn't be any complications. There are some minimal complications that like it could be bleeding, mm-hmm. um some bruising, um a little pain, and uh, depending on the tolerance of the patient's pain. And the really, really weird cases, I will call some infection. I would mm-hmm. say some infection like it can happen. But usually I don't see that frequent because everything is sterile. Right. And are they allowed to go running that night or is that a bad idea? I think it's a bad idea. Even if there's no bleeding and no pain, I would usually recommend at least to 24 hours. Like I usually tell them to the patient, chillax. (laughs) Chillax. Chillax. (laughs) Sit in your house, watch TV, keep the area clean, not moving that much because maybe you didn't bleed during the biopsy, but maybe there was some laceration of the vessel that then it started bleeding and then it's a little bit more problematic. Even if it start bleeding, it shouldn't be a problem. The only thing they have to do is just hold compression. Right. And then wait under compression. And then they'll get the results and then they'll move forward with whatever whatever needs to happen from there based off of the pathology mm-hmm. results. What is something that you would like the next generation of physicians to know? I think the next generation of physicians as a, a primary care physicians, they should know that the modalities that are available and the uh, guidelines, they are changing all the time. There are multiple guidelines in the system right now for hypertrophic risk patients. And they need to know 
the density situation that we're talking right now. A lot of patients, a lot of primary care physicians, especially the old ones, they know there's a law, but they don't know what to do. And the patient is a little frustrated for that. They need to know that there's, if they need help, there are some clinics that can help, the high-risk clinic mm-hmm. or a breast surgeon. Not every time that we recommend a patient to go to a breast surgeon, is the breast surgeon is waiting with a scalpel or a scissor just to do a surgery. It's just there is the one that knows the most and the guidelines. And if there is any need for additional imaging, they can communicate with the radiologist. So I think if they need, they have support. They can call radiology. They can call breast surgeon. They can call a high-risk clinic for those primary care physicians. Right. What would you like young girls who are growing into women to know about breast care and their health? I think they shouldn't be scared if they are afraid to hear the word cancer. I think nobody should be aware of cancer. Everybody should be knowledgeable of a disease. And as you said before at the beginning, early detection, it just saved more life. And it's a very easy treatment, less mutilation of the breast. It's not the same a three millimeter, four millimeter cancer than a four or five centimeter mass. So early detection is important. So even if they have to start with a mammogram, don't wait for it. If you feel something, don't wait for it. Cancers can happen before age of 40, can happen at age of 20s. Right. So if you feel a lump, don't let it be. Don't think this is just a cyst or because a friend in the college told you it's a cyst because they had a cyst. Right. Go get it examined. Find out for certain. Call the doctor. It's, it's better to get the answer saying it's fine than be sorry later. Right. I want to end with my all-time favorite question that I ask everybody. What is one thing that you'd like women who may be diagnosed today or tomorrow to walk away knowing? The most important thing is they are not by themselves, okay? Breast cancer, it happened in my family too. My mom had breast cancer twice. The first surgery was lumpectomy. The second surgery was total mastectomy with reconstruction. She's not afraid of saying it. But they're not by themselves. They have a family, they have friends. And if they don't have family or friends, they have a lot of support groups like you. Okay. Aww, thank you. So here in the Breast Imaging Center, we have all the routine patients that they were diagnosed 10, 20 years ago. And they're still coming in here. They're the same faces. Sometimes they bring cookies, sometimes don't. But they are not by themselves. Right. We are, we're a family. We take care of them. And the family is also part. When a patient is diagnosed, the whole family is diagnosed with breast cancer. And that's the truth. Yes. That is so true. It just made me think of something, actually. When a woman has gone through imaging and they've been diagnosed with cancer and then they go through surgeries and treatments and all that stuff and that's all behind them then, let's say they had a mastectomy, do they still get mammograms? What do they do for imaging? So patients that get a mastectomy, if they get bilateral mastectomy, okay, and um, for breast cancer, sometimes it just hold follow-up. Physically, and if there is any clinical symptomatology or a clinical and in the clinical examination they find something, breast MRI would be the answer because there is no more true breast in there. Right. And it's just bad. However, there's always some remnant on breast, even if you try to take everything out. But right. cells are tiny, people, and tissues made up of cells. So the fact, like <laughs> the chances of getting every single microscopic cell is probably slim to none. So those patients, usually, if they get a bilateral mastectomy, they follow up just physical examination mm-hmm. and they don't need to have a mammogram. But when there is something going on, they maybe just do a new target ultrasound if there is a lump or they just do an MRI. Patients, they just get only one side, they get a mastectomy because probably had a breast cancer and they just in one breast and they didn't want to have bilateral mastectomy. They get just only a mastectomy one side with reconstruction or a, of implant placement because there are two types. 
Um, you can either do reconstruction with your own tissue or you can put an implant. Those patients also don't need to have an evaluation of the area affected. Mm-hmm. However, they need to have a mammogram in the other side. Uh, the other side, exactly. So, and those patients are now considered high risk. So those patients also now become a mammogram every year, an MRI every year. So they need to be mindful of that. If they've had breast cancer and they've had um, one of the breasts removed, then they are now high risk and they need to be, they need to have that conversation with their provider about surveillance. Exactly. And sometimes and things are going to change today. We're in 2020. Things are going to change. I'm pretty sure we, we're going to be seeing different modalities coming in the future and also different guidelines. But in 2020, right now, the guidelines are these ones. And I think we should follow because, unfortunately, we are seeing much uh, more cancers. And either because we're diagnosing them earlier, because mm-hmm. modalities are better, or because because the truth is there are more cancers. Right. And which is sad to say, but we're seeing more cancers and more in young patients. Right. Yes. And I know, I know we said this earlier, but just to reiterate one last time is that it doesn't discriminate on age or anything. So you need to know your own bodies and you need to be proactive and ask those questions. And I love what you said right there just a moment ago too, is that you're not alone in it. So when you go and you're getting those screenings done, if you're diagnosed, you don't have to go through it by yourself. No. And it's the thing is there are a lot of support groups. If they don't have, if they're listening to this from another place in another state and they cannot reach you, I'm pretty sure in their community they have same sur- uh, survivors or some people that are having these groups and they help. They help my mom. They yes. can help everybody. Yes, and there's also um, online support groups as well. If you're in a rural area and don't necessarily have anybody like really close to you, you can you can look online as well. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We are very blessed to have you with us. Thank you for taking the time to share your expertise with us. No, thank you for the invitation. And I hope this helped for all the women. Yes, I am certain that it will. Thank you. And thank you to all y'all at home listening. Now that we've learned more about breast imaging, y'all don't wait. Go and get your mammograms. I look forward to speaking with you all again next week. Until then, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.